everyone, and welcome to the Interlingo World Lit Podcast, where we explore the world and open ourselves up to different ways of seeing and being in the world through books. I'm Lisa Carter, founder and creative director of Intralingo, and your host today. Today I'm in conversation and so happy to be with Catherine E. Young, translator from the Russian, as well as a poet. And we're going to be talking about her latest release, which is called Look at Him by the author Anna Starobinets. So welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm so happy to be here. Me too. It's wonderful to, uh, to be chatting with you about this. So for listeners who don't know Anna and her work, would you just introduce us a little bit to her as a, as a novelist, as a playwright or screenwriter, um, among her many other writing talents? Yeah, she's best known for her work uh, in horror. In fact, she's known as Russia's Stephen King. Um, so she's written a number of books in horror, um, a lot of work for young adults and some work for children. Um, this book that, that I translated is a complete switch of, of uh, gears for her. This is a memoir. And uh, she said uh, in various interviews that she doesn't think she's going to write any more memoirs, but this one was an important one for, for reasons that we'll get to. Um, she is a, she's also known as kind of a, not a performance artist exactly, but she performs her life on Facebook and anybody who reads Russian can follow her. And um, it's a very um, personal space uh, in, in which she talks about quite a number of other things. So she also teaches writing courses online. Um, so she's, she's a multi-talented, multi-dimensional person. Everything she's written for adults has been, you know, shortlisted for big prizes. Uh, this book, Look at Him, was a finalist for the Nats Best uh, in Russia in 2018. It was, it's a highly controversial book in Russia. And yes. uh, we can talk about why that is. Yeah, wonderful. I definitely do want to do that. So as you say, Look at Him is a memoir, which was a first for Anna. And it's, uh, as all memoirs are, it's a very personal story. Um, it is the story of, you know, when Anna and her, and her husband found out that they were going to have a baby, the baby had a congenital condition, um, and they were forced to make a decision about what to do in that case. But it's also more than that. It's it's uh, because Anna is also a journalist. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. She also looks at this through through a more journalistic lens as well about the situation overall. Can you introduce us to the book? So the book is in two main parts. The first part, uh, maybe slightly longer, is a discussion of what happened to her from the diagnosis of what's what we. It, it gets complicated. The evolution of what it is is part of the story, mm -hmm. but it's determined eventually to be bilateral multicystic kidney. Uh, sorry, bilateral multicystic dysplastic kidney, um, which is a very rare thing. Multicystic dysplastic kidney does happen, not often, but it happens. But it usually happens to just one kidney. It's a malformation of the kidney during uh, gestation. But when it's bilateral, it's both kidneys and the kidneys swell up. Uh, they don't, because of the deformation, they don't um, produce amniotic fluid. Consequently, uh, the baby is basically without amniotic fluid and the lungs don't develop properly. If the child makes it to birth, uh, 
the child dies of, of mm-hmm. not because the lungs can't can't breathe the air. Um, so it's a death sentence. This diagnosis. So that's the first part of the book, uh, which sounds, you know, it sounds like okay, I'm not going to read this anymore <laughs> because it's so dreadful. It it is dreadful. But one of the things that Starbinitz is really marvelous at doing is um, she's funny. She writes for the internet age. Uh, she knows how to, you know, have a cliffhanger. She knows how to tell a story and all of that work in her, you know, in her life as a screenwriter, as a journalist, as a, as a horror writer, all of those skills um, are, are part of, you know, what makes this work. I should also say, I read an interview with her just yesterday. She was bullied as a child at school and um, she had a teacher, the first teacher uh, contributed to the bullying, um, but the, the second teacher um, gave her a tool and made her a writer to deal with the bullying, which is, she said, you have to tell a story to these kids. And if you tell them a story, they will, you know, uh, not bully you. And so she, so during the sort of break time uh, uh, in classes, she would start a story. And this was second, you know, second, third grade. She would start a story and, and leave a hook. And so that the next day the kids would want to not bully her so that she would tell the rest of the story. Um, and she calls herself you know, sort of a child Scheherazade. So, so all of those skills really, and also humor come into this book, but the second half of the book, which I'll speak about just quickly is um, she, she, because the issues she raises are systemic in Russia, she wanted to look at not just her case, but put it in broader context. And so she interviews a number of people who've had similar issues. She tried to interview people in the Russian, Russian medical system who refused to speak with her. So she spoke instead with uh, healthcare professionals in Germany in the Charité Clinic, uh, which is famous if you're watching the news headlines today because Alexander Navalny, the Russian uh, dissident, is being treated there. Yes. Uh, dissident is the wrong word, but, but uh, certainly an opponent to the current power structure in Moscow. So in any case, it's this world famous hospital. There's even a TV series about it in Germany. And she interviews some of the people who cared for her um, when she eventually went there with her own medical situation. So right. it's, it's, both, it's both the memoir and then the second half is journalism, looking at the situation in Russia for women and, her, and, women and families in her situation, and then uh, looking at how people in the rest of the world deal with um, situations like this. Yes, yeah. That w- I think uh, there's so much I want to pick up on there. But <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating because, um, you know, and it really truly is, as you say, a storyteller. And though the subject matter is heart-wrenching and in some time places it's incredibly difficult because she is unflinchingly honest yeah. and raw uh, about her experiences. At the same time, you know, there is a bit of that uh, lens of the journalist that takes us out of it. There is the storytelling narrative through it. We truly are taken through the entire um, story of, you know, her her finding out the diagnosis and deciding what to do. And afterwards, um, it really is, it's quite a unique book. I think so. Um, one of the things I had to do was research comparable titles in this country. And I did try to find comparable titles in this country. There are almost no comparable titles, like under 10. Um, mm-hmm. Dealing, I mean, many memoirs deal, women's memoirs deal with abortion and passing. Oh, I had an abortion and then I went on and had my you know, fantastic musical career or whatever. This one focuses specifically on this medical decision, this child's life. Um, and 
you know, it's, it's hard to, to say to people who, who haven't, uh, who think this is so off-putting, they can't possibly read it. Um, but this isn't, it is, there's a theme of abortion in this book. It's the central sort of activity and, 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 and the fallout of it for the family, the husband, the, you know, the, the sort of larger social circles in which she moves. But it's really not about that. It's, it's about um, what happens to a woman's body, how we see ourselves. It's, it's, a, it's a philosophical engagement with what is life. Um, and, and it's one of the things that I find very, very interesting is that she's so unvarnished in her presentation of, of the character Anna or the woman Anna, what Anna did. And sometimes Anna does things that I think are just, I can't quite get why she does them. And, she, and, and that's a really powerful human story. So, yes. you know, it, it, there is this medical tragedy at the center of it, but it's also an incredibly powerful and infuriating and funny um, and, and a just fascinating um, look into what happens. Um, you know, this happens in this country all the time. People lose children and that's really what it's about. It's the loss of a mm -hmm. child, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so often uh, all over the world, other people, outsiders, friends, neighbors, don't know how to talk to the person. And this book really looks at grief and, um, and you know, how, how, the loss of an unborn child is uh, erased in so many cultures. And it's sort of a reclaiming of that saying, this child was a real child, this child was a child who was loved and wanted, and this child just never lived. Yes, yeah, it's a, it's a personal tragedy. It's a family tragedy. But as you also just began to say there as well, it's a, it's a systemic tragedy. It's, a, it's a, a looking at the whole medical system in Russia, um, the culture around it. It, you know, I think Anna said later in the book when she is speaking to some of the German doctors that as she understood it, to a certain extent, Russia is, you know, 30, 40 years behind when this was happening to her in the in 2000s behind where Germany um, is now, you know, it was in the same place in the 80s. Um, so it's looking at the broader context as well. Well, that's a very complicated context as well, because during the Soviet period, which of course ended in 1991, there was really no birth control accessible, you know, no com you know, co uh, commercially available birth control, um, except abortion. So, um, you know, you would meet people. I've known a number of people um, in the in the 80s, maybe even you know 90s, in their childbearing years, who'd had four or five abortions because there was no other choice, right? Um, so there was a huge change in the early 2000s. I think it was 2003. Um, the Russian Orthodox Church, which of course had been officially uh, off the table during the Soviet period, had come back in full force, and they pushed through a whole number of reforms. And abortion was made illegal after the 12th week of pregnancy, except in very unusual circumstances, like this one, by the way. Um, but that was it. It, it, it sort of foretold a sea change in attitudes, and of course, very religious people, for obvious reasons, uh, have a problem uh, with you know abortion as a as a, a common form of birth control. Um, so coming from that context in which she grew up uh, and then taking sort of the polar opposite, which is we don't have abortions, you know, um, and then what happens when you're diagnosed in the 16th or 18th week of pregnancy with a child who cannot survive, 
who will not survive, who will die in excruciating pain of suffocation. What do you do? Because you're past your 12-week cutoff. You know, mm-hmm. what are your choices? Yes, it, it's quite incredible. And, and Anna has said as well that she wrote this sort of as a social advocacy to, to bring this to light, you know, and, and I think it is so important as well that it's brought to light in English as well, which is why I'm so excited to, to have been able to read this book, which I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Because while circumstances may be different, I, I think this notion of empathy and medical care is, is an issue overall. It can Absolutely. be an issue, regardless of country or, or situation. Um, so Catherine, I remember you telling me that you read a, um, a review of this book and some of the controversy that was surrounding it when it came out in Russian. What is it that drew you to pursue this book and to help bring it into English? Was it also a social advocacy sort of um, purpose for you as well? Tell us a little bit about that journey. You know, when you choose to translate a book, I mean, I've translated a lot of poetry. I've done several prose projects but that's several years of your life. And for various reasons, it's not just the translating. It is the finding the book, you know, agreeing with the, let's say there is an agent Uh, in this case, there was, you know, then you take the book and you have to kind of market it to an American publisher. Imagine how pleasant it is to to walk in with, well, here's a book about abortion. I know you (laughs) want to publish it. That didn't go over terribly well. Um, so, so there's, it's a whole series of steps before you even get to the translating. So um, if you're going to do a project like this, you, you have to really be in love with it. Um, I read the review, which was published by Lisa Hayden on Lizok's bookshelf, which is a, uh, my sort of go-to place for um, anything about Russian literature. Although we now have another, com- another blog. It's not a competing blog. It's a blog. It's a complimentary blog, Punctured Lines. But so now we have a couple of blogs going about contemporary Russian literature. And um, Lisa Hayden, uh, who's a well-known um, translator in her own right, uh, publishes, you know, the occasional review of books she's read in Russian that she's interested in, but it's not going to translate. And this was one of them. And I just fell in love with the notion. I know that sounds really bizarre, um, but I, something about the review spoke to me. I was lucky enough to then, Lisa introduced me to the agents, and I was able to get a copy of the book and read it. I, it was just... I, I don't set out necessarily to do socially engaged work, but I find by temperament and by interest, I end up doing a lot of it. And this was the last project I did uh, is by a, a man who was still a political prisoner in Azerbaijan. Um, this was following on that. I clearly have a, a thing for um, challenging work but also I want to live you know when you're translating with work like this you're living with it right and you yes I don't want to be in the head of somebody I don't care about telling a story that doesn't matter to me this is a story that mattered to me mm-hmm. um I don't have personal experience with the issues in this but I mean except that I have dealt with a dehumanizing medical system um in some cases here not as dehumanizing as it is there um, it's really interesting there because there are two sort of parallel traditions. One is a sort of long-term, almost shamanistic, holistic healing sense. And that uh, is medicine practiced at the, some of the highest levels of um, 
Russian medical training, mm-hmm. you know, the, the people who believe them, uh, in themselves, not just as technicians with, you know, lots of um, scans and that sort of thing, but also true healers in the old sense of the word healer. But then during the Soviet period, because there was such a shortage of doctors, there was this huge, you know, pushing through of people with diplomas to do give very basic medical care to millions of people who'd never had medical care before. And there was a lack of quality in a lot of that. And that, that building up of a system that was about a system and not about human beings uh, really shows in this memoir where this woman is treated as a piece of meat on a medical table. And even the diagnosis that her child is going to die is not given to her. It's given while she's lying on a table and there are 15 student doctors watching her who she did not give permission uh, to, to even be in the room. So the doctor is talking over her to his students saying, and this baby's going to die. And in fact, he doesn't say baby, he says fetus. The fetus is going to die. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is so fascinating as well, because um, I didn't know that about the sort of parallel or previous medical system about this, you know, how this tradition of, of healers, I can imagine it, but that wasn't brought up in the book, except when Anna um, interviewed a couple of other women who had also gone through um either late-term abortions or lost their child uh, for other reasons. And one of the women had a doula and, you know, which seems to be a very modern North American-ish sort of tradition. Um, But that that contrast that you just painted for us makes the the current medical system seem uh, so much colder even. Very much so. I mean, but I think, you know, there, there's a lot in the book of, you know, she talks about the fact that she speaks English, she reads English, and when she got the diagnosis, um, she looked at Russian sources, but she quickly became aware that there were other things going on in the rest of the world and um, reached out, you know, to, to people through her, Eng- her ability to speak English yes. to get help. And that also happened with these women that she interviewed in the second part of the book who found resources, say, in Europe or in the Americas um, to, to practicing like doulas, for example, which mm-hmm. is not a standard practice in, in Russia. Um, uh, and, and sort of bringing in some of these traditions, one of the uh, women she interviewed talked about a site that she'd found about preserving the memory of the child. And on that site, they said, take handprints, take, you know, even if your child is, you know, born dead, you can still take an impression of his or her hand. You know, you can make a cast of his or her feet. You know, just these are some of the ways that we found that are helpful to cope. And, um, you know, those were not things that were uh, available in Russia. One other thing I should talk about in the medical system in Russia um, is during the Soviet period, um, psychology, psychiatry were used in the interest of the state to repress people and to, uh, to forcibly mm-hmm. treat dissidents, not people who, didn't, who were not mentally ill, but who, people who said things that the government disapproved of. So there's been this tremendous um, use of the behavioral sciences to repress human beings. Consequently, uh, in the post-Soviet period, um, there is not the strong culture of therapy or trust of therapists uh, that we have in many parts of the West. Um, and you can see that as, as Anna tells her story. There are just not resources for women who are experiencing this, or families who are experiencing this kind of grief. And they are doing, doing it themselves, um, which is the, the sort of, uh, I don't know if we call it a happy coda, but it's, it's a, 
sort of an empowering part of the book, the notion that women who, who are suffering and not getting what they need from their friends, their neighbors, their families, the system are reaching out to one another and doing it. And, and online resources are helping them do that. Yes. Yeah, that was really quite incredible. That's a fabulous insight that I had never considered as well, not knowing, you know, very much about Russia at all, but how psychology and, and psychotherapy would have been used as a, as a weapon, as a tool. Um, because Anna herself does after they lose the baby, she is, you know, undergoing tremendous grief and loss and panic attacks. Uh, and uh, she does find someone for, for their daughter who helps, you know, very wonderfully, very quickly. Um, but she herself has trouble finding anyone that she can speak right. to and um, be understood by. Mm -hmm. Well, it's about the education of all of them. She, her husband, her daughter, her family members. And, and that's one of those sort of subtext throughout the, the book, which is all of these people make up her life. It's not one woman making a decision. It's her whole yes. sort of ecosystem, all the people around her. And each person contributes something and each person has the capacity to help or harm as they go through this. And, and in many ways, all of them do both. She herself, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, does not handle it well. And, and honestly, who could say without being in that situation, how you would handle it. Um, but it's a very traumatic period for her. Absolutely. Absolutely. And she does contrast that with what she discovered then, of course, as you say, she goes to Germany. Um, she is, you know, seen at the Charité where she ultimately um, does have the late term abortion um, but it is a completely different experience. It is much more human, humanizing, much more empathetic. Uh, and I think what I loved about the journalistic part at the end was in her interviews with the doctors and um, midwives and that is that they make it clear as well that this wasn't always the case. They had to learn this as well. The system had to learn this. Um, so it, it gives a lot of us hope for all of these systems that, you know, we look at and we think, how can this be? Um, uh, there is change. Change does happen. Well, if you think about Germany, I mean, there is a certain irony in this, of course, a mere 50 years earlier, Germany had been in the forefront of, you know, denying the humanity of, of many people. So yes. um, to see this change going on there is, um, of course, also a fascinating insight. Um, and and it's hard also from the Russian and Soviet perspective, in any case, to, su to, um, to suggest that the Germans are ahead in anything, right? It's, it's, a, it's a tough um, sort of place, sort of intellectual place to be. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And Anna, I think, as we mentioned earlier, you know, she underwent extreme criticism, uh, almost attacks, uh, when this was published for speaking out, for sharing uh, her story so honestly and openly. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that situation? I think it was just such a shocking book because it talked about things that nobody talked about. I mean, in polite company in mm -hmm. any company, right? Um, women's bodies, um, the process of pregnancy. Uh, one of the, the, the really interesting thing for American readers is, is going to be, I think, to look at the dynamic and what was expected of the relationship between Anna and her husband. Because in, in Russian, I mean, 
in Russia, you go into, in fact, she, she discusses this, if she had had this procedure in Russia, she would have been in a specific isolation hospital for 10 days, no one allowed to visit except for something like 20 minutes. Um, many of the, 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 you know, when she went to see her obstetrician, when she went to see for the ultrasound, uh, to get a second ultrasound, they didn't allow her husband even in the door. You know, so it's a, it's a notion of women's health and women's privacy that completely excludes partners um, and excluded, would have excluded him from the birth of his child. Um, and this, this, this is not something that, that we currently experience so much in America, but, but, but we, of course, did in the past. But this notion that women's health is something that is dirty, that is um, secret, and that will destroy your marriage if you let a man into, you know, what's happening with your body and your child, um, as she points out, also drives a wedge between two people who conceived a child. Um, hmm. when, you, when you keep one of them intentionally excluded from everything that has to do with the progress of that child up till birth. So she's chronicling this thing that, that you know, maybe women in the 1950s experienced here in America, but um, it's very different from um, what's going on now. And uh, mm -hmm. so in any case, so there was that. There were the, so she was breaking social taboos. Um, she was breaking medical taboos and she called out by name people who treated her badly, uh, mm -hmm. including the doctor who called in his 15 graduate students or medical students. Um, so she was, and she, um, she did that. She also spoke of the people who treated her well. Um, but, but many people felt that she was trying to shame Russia. She was trying to shame medical professionals, um, that she was exposing something that shouldn't be exposed. Um, and she was vilified for it. Um, Yes. Yeah. Which is, you know, tragic in and itself, you know, there's a, another incredible loss for her. Um, uh, because as you say, she names doctors, she names uh, everyone. And that was very important to her to not put this behind a veneer. Um, but that must have also been difficult for the publisher as well to... Good question. I don't know about that, but I suspect, I mean, it is the, the book, the Russian book in Russian, the title page is, and the cover is also is stamped with an odd thing that looks like an actual stamp. It's like 100% doc, doc, D-O-C, like documentary, yes. you know, documentary, um, you know, sort of, and so it's like, it's, it's an out there in your face, we're to publish this, this is what it looks like, and, you know, take your shots. Mm -hmm. um, um, as I said, she's a woman who, uh, she has something like 35,000 Facebook followers. She has millions of readers in Germany. She has millions of readers uh, in, in Russia, all over the world. Um, she has a little bit of capital in and of herself. Um, but I can't imagine putting out this story in its unvarnished state, you know, <laughs> saying I was an idiot about X. Um, I shouldn't have done Y. I wish I hadn't done this. Um, in, in, and, and it's not about trivial, negligible things. It's about really important things. Uh, the things that she thinks she should have done differently in retrospect. Um, one of them that she talks about is that she, um, as the child, as, she, as her labor is being inter, uh, induced in Germany, um, um, there is a chance to give the child a shot that will um, essentially, it, it's, it's, it will stop the child's heart. Mm -hmm horrible but she couldn't bring herself to give the child the shot so the child was born 
and lived a few minutes and died of a massive cerebral hemorrhage in great pain, apparently. It's a little unclear because at 22 weeks, it's not clear how much pain uh, right. they feel. But in any case, and, and that's one of the things she talks about afterwards saying, I, sh I, I should have let the child, I should have had the, had the shot and, and saved my child from suffering. Uh, and that's a really raw place in the book. And I think for all of us at reading it, because what would we do? You yes. know, do you, do you administer your child a fatal shot or do you let your child die naturally from mm -hmm. cerebral hemorrhage? You know, there yes. was no question. The child was not going to live. She knew that. Um, yes. So how do, is it, how do you choose? Mm -hmm. I think that is what honestly makes this one of the most incredible memoirs I've ever read. And I adore memoir, but is that ability that Anna has to not hide anything from herself, yeah. let alone from others, to be absolutely real, even when it is shocking and things, as you say, we don't want to think about or things because they're painful, because they hurt. Um, but it is so beautiful to see that willingness to open up and share, I find that is makes this memoir absolutely incredible. Well, it sort of goes to the question of why do we write? You yes. know, um, ultimately, I think those of us who write are trying to leave something of ourselves. Um, and, and all of us have different levels of what we want to reveal in, in, in doing so. But when I write, read now, I, I'm interested in who the writer is and why the writer is choosing, to, whether it's fiction or memoir or whatever, poem, why present this this way? What does that tell me about the person behind it? And um, so sometimes I, I feel like, um, you know, if, if, we had, if we were meeting in a coffee shop, I'm not sure Anna and I would have all that much in common. I hope, I'd like to think we would, um, but... But where she is in her mind, sometimes places that I can't go. And I think that's, I mean, to find that in a book, to find that she, this really interesting human being that you may not understand, but that she can explain to you how she got from point A to point B. I, I, for me, anyway, um, that's, it's sort of magic. Mm -hmm. And not all authors are able to do that. Um, but she certainly does that here. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's, it's that, um, that understanding where each other is from and understanding our ultimate humanity. She is a person. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Whether you agree with her, whether you don't. And one of the things That's I should right. say is if, if you're interested or not in the abortion issue in this country, in America, where she is on that issue is sort of betwixt and between. Mm -hmm. It's nice. She's not on either side as we would define the sides. And that's one reason that I think this book is so important for people to read because it does allow you the, the kind of abortion that she had is, has been demonized in the United States as quote unquote, late term abortion. Um, there are very few of them that take yes. place um, as in hundreds, a few mm -hmm. hundred a year, I believe. Um, but all of them, are accompanied by these wrenching issues. Because if you decide that you don't have room in your life for a baby, you're not deciding that at 22 weeks, you're deciding that at six weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks. 
Um, and probably you aren't deciding that lightly anyway. I, I don't know, but probably you aren't. But when your pregnancy gets to 18, 20, 22 weeks, you probably want that child. Mm -hmm. And so this decision, this situation is even more fraught. Uh, it's not a question of, you know, um, choice by that point. It's a question of what do I do with this mm -hmm. thing that, that happened to me? So I was going to ask you as well, Catherine, you know, of course, translation presents all kinds of challenges. In this book in particular, there are um, multiple voices. Uh, when she's interviewing people, there is also, of course, medical terminology. Um, there is a ton of emotion that has to come through in terms of the voice and style of writing. But beyond the technicalities of all of that, um, what was translating this book like for you? How did it impact you? This book was in many ways, the last book I translated uh, is by a writer who grew up in the tradition of Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and wrote beautiful long Russian sentences. And when I would try to break the sentences up for American readers, <laughs> I couldn't do it because they were the classical figures of speech, you know, Antimetaboli or, or Climax or... Um, chiasmus or whatever it was. And so you couldn't break them up. This book, on the other hand, was written for the internet age. Um, and, and one of the interesting things about it is even in the interviews, um, the voice is so clearly Anna's. Um, even though there are many people speaking, it, it, it's, um, I, I don't know, it, it, it flowed very naturally. Um, the, the, the terminology wasn't really a problem. One of the big problems was there are some pop culture references, including a movie that she's watching uh, the night before the baby dies. Um, and it's uh, about the Russian version of the Three Musketeers and they're singing a song. And the actual literal translation of the song they're singing has nothing to do, it, it's very different from the translation that I ended up making because it didn't make sense for the narrative uh, it's these cavaliers flying away on their horses with their, their plumed hats, you know, flying in the wind. Um, and they're saying bye-bye. And, you know, um, that part of it I was able to grab hold of and, and bring over into the English. But it's always little things like that. Another one that was really tough was the whole culture of motherhood in a really sickly sweet way that we don't have, I think, as much of in America. But it's this sort of over-the-top, uh, very lovey-dovey, cutesy-pootsy um, language about having children and cherishing that child. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole sort of way of being for mm -hmm. some pregnant women in Russia. Um, and there's a name for them in Russian that doesn't translate. And I ended up, you know, I spent weeks on this actually trying to get the right <laughs> English translation. And I ended up with preggy-weggy. And the preggy-weggy women with their little belly dwellers and their cutesy-pootsy, this, that, and the other. And um, so there were, there were issues of tone and register. Those were tough. But in terms of the overall, imp are you asking about maybe the impact of, of working with this material? Is that? Uh, yeah, I think all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, with material like this, you always want to keep in mind why you chose to translate it in the first place. I mean, to live for days and hours going through the steps of this woman going to Germany in desperation, 
being told yet again the child won't live, making the toughest decision of her life, and then walking with her through that decision. Um, and, and, and by the way, there's some really funny moments. There is an anesthesiologist uh, who is uh, basically an ice man, and um, she, she makes fun of him and, and, and his complete disinterestedness in what's happening in her life. Um, there, and there are these, you know, there's the, the psychologist from outer space who doesn't understand why there's nobody in Russia who could help her with counseling after she goes home again. I mean, there, there are these, you know, these cultural differences and, and she presents them in ways that make it possible to work with the tougher material about, do I give the shot? Do I not give the shot? Because the guy who'll give the shot is this, you know, this man who clearly cares nothing about her or her situation, except in a very cold professional sense. So it's, um, I, uh, I, I, I felt there was, there was a lot of, you know, t uh, tonal shifts and that made it easier. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I mean, I committed to the work, being committed to the work makes, I, I found it possible to take the tougher stuff um, in a, almost a, det not detached is not the right word, but I could handle it. I could compartmentalize it because I knew where it was going and how beautiful it was once we get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's it's incredible to um, have that empathy shown and displayed in the translation. Um, and you you know you also offer us a, a little bit of insight, definitely here and in you know the other things that you do, so that we can understand this better um, in terms of the cultural context, which many of us will not be familiar with. I don't think it's absolutely necessary. There is a little forward to the book that talks mm -hmm. about some of the things you might need to know to read it. But honestly, it's a, it's a story about human beings, a tragic story, but it's also redeemed by warmth and humor and love. And, and of course, there's a final gut punch in the last, in the end of the book too, mm -hmm. uh, when we find out the fate of her husband. So, uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I would love for you, Catherine, to read uh, a short excerpt for us so that we can hear your voice and Anna's voice and uh, really get a sense for this. Would you be willing to do that? Sure, I'll do that. This is the beginning of the very first chapter. Beautiful. Birth Defect. Well, is it a boy or a girl? I asked the ultrasound specialist. He's already been able to show me the brain. The baby has a very good brain and heart, everything's well-developed there. He's already said the measurements correspond to 16 weeks of development. He's already asked me the absurd question to which I've become accustomed over 16 weeks, who have you got at home? And I've already answered that I have an eight-year-old girl at home. So this time, I'd like a boy. And now I'm asking if it's a boy or girl, but for some reason, he's pursing his lips tightly, as if he's got a giant sour berry in his mouth and is deciding whether or not to spit it out. He silently guides the probe around my stomach and looks silently at the monitor. He's silent a little too long, and then he says, it's a boy. But something's wrong with his voice, with the tone. Again, he purses his lips. I suddenly remember the beginning of my own science fiction book, The Living, the probe cheeped and the doctor considered what he was seeing. I asked, 
Is something wrong? It was silent. Is something wrong with the baby? And now it's November of 2012, and I myself am in the office of a doctor who is silent, and the ultrasound cheeps, and I ask, is something wrong with the baby? Oh, I have shivers. Mm -hmm. That was an incredibly powerful way to begin this story, to, to contrast her real-life experience um, and her science fiction writing, which is ultimately in some ways what her life becomes in this, in this very beginning of the book. Very much so. Mm -hmm. And she's almost like a lab specimen for, for many weeks in, in Russia. Um, uh, one of the, but of course, one of the subtexts even of that story is she finds people who will care for her even in Russia. Um, there is an ultrasound specialist there who is kind and generous and uh, who takes her um, even though she doesn't have an appointment. And, um, you know, the, so there are, there are, the difference I think, which I, I haven't read a lot of her horror, horror writing, but the difference between this story and what I think of as horror writing is the texture of good and bad weaving together of kindness and cruelty of uh, empathy and lack of empathy. It's all coming in there together. And even friends who don't know what to say to her, who don't know how to deal with her situation, some of them are terrible. And then they'll turn around and they'll have some amazing insight into what she's going through. Um, there's a, a mother um, who is particularly kind and asks her to just talk about what happened to her. Yes. Uh, and it's the first person in weeks who has listened to her as a human being. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's, there's all of this going on. Uh, it's, it's not a, this is not a book that, you know, divides the world into good and evil, although there's some definite, shall we say, disreputable or unkind <laughs> or uncharitable characters, but it, it is a book about the whole sort of swarm of emotions that make up any human being. And some of them are, are worthy and some of them are distinctly unworthy as we see, particularly in some of the doctors who, who deal with her early on. I don't find, um, you know, a clear, there's, there's no gender agenda here. And there's not the male doctors are bad and the female doctors are good. It's nothing like that. It happens that there are uh, good people in, in both categories. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very human book. Um, and it's, there are just some doctors who are clinical and some who are empathetic. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Absolutely. And, and what you say, I think is true overall. And that was a perfect example of, you know, it, it's not black or white and it's not good or bad. Um, it truly is about empathy and understanding what a person is going through, taking the time to listen, um, to be aware uh, intergenerally, intergenerationally as well, because, you know, the older generation, you know, even her parents told uh, their daughter, okay, you know, go home, but don't ever talk about your little brother who's been lost. It's just um, off the table. Um, whereas exactly what Anna needed was to talk about it, to know that this was real. Um, and I think I loved that about this book as well, is it's... Um, it's a reminder that we can never know what anything is like for another person unless we take the time to uh, talk and to listen. Well, I'm hopeful. I mean, this book 
says so many things in so many ways, not necessarily profound, but sort of just laying them out and you can come to your own conclusions. And it's my sort of secret hope or dream, desire, whatever, that people who have very firm positions specifically on women's health, abortion, what life is, uh, quality of life, that no matter what side of this issue you find yourself on, that you can read this with an open mind, just, just to see who this woman is, what her situation is, why she made the decisions she did. You may not share, you know, you may not make that same, you would not make that decision yourself necessarily, but it's, it's a way in, in a, in a, on an issue, which in, in this country we are, we find ourselves so completely separated on. Um, and I, I feel like this book is, a, is just a humanizing um, uh, of what is such a disastrous chasm um, that, that hurts women and families um, because of our intractability on the basic issue. Mm -hmm. And isn't that truly just the power and the beauty of books is to be given these other perspectives um, if we're open enough to read them, to sit with them, to consider our own positions um, as well as others. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you for this book, Catherine, for bringing it to us in English. Congratulations to you and to Anna on its release in English this month in September. Um, I will absolutely be including your bio in the show notes uh, links so that people can find you and your work um, and certainly to find this book and to purchase it and read it for themselves which uh, I, I highly recommend I can't wait for others to read it thank you so much Lisa I am also just committed to getting other people to read this book because I love yes. it so much it feels when I translate it doesn't I don't really make a firm distinction between my own writing and my translating because when I translate, I am writing. Of course, it's not my original material, mm -hmm. but, but I, I feel by a degree separated, probably also attached to this story and this material. And I, I am so moved by it. And I am, I am just in awe of Anastata Beenitz. And I, I hope that other people will share that all when they read the book. I'm sure they will. They can't help because it, it certainly comes through. Thank you. Yeah, wonderful to have you here. Thank you very much. And, uh, and I hope we chat again about some of your other work. Thank you so much, Lisa. Lovely. Well, thank you to everyone for listening on the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel. As I say, um, Catherine's uh, bio will be below in the show notes, links to purchase the book, Look at Him by Anasta Robinets. Um, subscribe, like, share. Uh, you as readers know how important it is to share your love of books and we appreciate it very much. Thank you everyone and until the next time.